1 John chapter 2 today, beginning in verse 3, as we listen to what God has for us. 1 John 2 and 3, I will read the verses we want to consider this morning. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. It seems relatively simple when we first look at this, but as we look at this today, we will see John taking us to a place in our Christian teaching and learning that our walk matches our talk. Oftentimes there is a little discrepancy. And I'm sure John was recognizing this even as he was writing through the Holy Spirit to these brothers and sisters here that was scattered throughout the region coming probably from Ephesus. But in verse 3 he says, By this we know that we have come to know him. And John uses this expression often in his writing, we know, we know. And here he says, we know we have come to know him. And then we get this condition, if we keep his commandments. And he, so he has a qualifying phrase here, that keeping his commandments, the commandments of the Lord God, assist us in knowing that we have come to know him. We can back into this different ways and look at this in various ways. But then notice the severity of not in verse four. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And John is simply speaking of how serious this is that as we make a profession of faith and our talk expresses that, our walk follows in, in, a way, in such a way that it becomes palatable, not only to others, but even with ourselves. Because if you notice this, it says we, we have come to know him. We know this as we keep his commandments. There's also a personal blessing that comes with this, this part. Many years ago, we were called to, we were working in an area called Silverton, Oregon, right outside of Portland, Oregon. And for the weekend of Labor Day, I took a, a gentleman's place and worked on this Snoqualmie tree farm, it was called, that Warehouser Timber Company owned. And the gentleman that was going to be working with me in those three or four days was a man named Ron. And Ron said something exceedingly significant and it just caught me right away. He said, I want to immediately profess to you that I am an atheist. And the reason, so you'll know it, we'll just get this right out, that I am an atheist is because I don't see Christians 
walking the walk that they talk. And for several days, we were able to work together. It was amazing because to him, uh, this tree farm, it was absolutely one of the most beautiful tree farms I'd ever been in. This is where they raised timber in the western Washington and they harvest it. And it's, it's, it's sent all over to, to build houses. Absolutely phenomenal. But this was Ron's God. And we spent time with Ron, became fairly good friends, actually. We chose just not to argue here. I'd pray, Lord, how do I go back and touch Ron here? And I would pray. One time I just started telling Ron Bible stories. And he sat there and says, you know, I really like to hear the Bible stories. So I said, I just kept praying, God, speak to Ron's heart. The most uh, precious time of that was the last evening. It was Labor Day night, and Ron gave me a phone call out in the tree farm, and I was still working, and that was spraying on the, in the tree farm with these piece of equipment that was controlling the, the weeds that would close off the roadways. And he said, uh, would you come to our house for dinner? And I thought, wow, this is amazing that this guy who doesn't believe in Jesus has asked me to come to his house. And I sat down with him and his wife and his two children, and he said, I, I teach them there is no God. And he said, I've never asked this of anyone ever. I want you to offer a prayer for the meal. And I was like, wow, of all holy ground, if I would write those 30 precious holy times that God speaks to me, that was one of them just in Ron's home sharing. But the word of God here is taking us to a place today that what we say and what we do needs to match. This is what the word of God is teaching, is our talk needs to match our walk. And I understand as we enter this, there are no one here would sit here and say there, there haven't been discrepancies. Often, the, often that's what even brings us back to repentance to God. God shows us that our talk isn't matching our walk. And all of a sudden we recognize, Lord, I'm not where you want me to be. God, help me to get there by your grace. But I want to talk about another part of this because John is entering, he's going to touch this a lot, keeping the commandments of God, walking where Jesus walked. But I want to speak about something else uh, so we understand comm commandments are not there for fighting. They're not here to throw at people. They're not here to stab people. They're not here to crush people. The commandments of God are intended to bless Oftentimes, Christians have been guilty of taking the commandments of God and throwing them at each other or even arguing which one's the most important and we lose the very heart of God and the writing that John was presenting to us here. Also, the commandments of God are not isolated acts of denial or asceticism. They're not some choice I make because I'm a Christian and I have my five big one list, and I do them. So the word of God, we're going to look in this, but I, but I will tell you this too about the commandments of God. The commandments of God, when you look at this at first, it's really big. It's really big. The word of God even says scholars agree that in the commandments of God, even in the New Testament, there is over 1,000 commandments of God. Now you come back and you say, how do I get my head around 1,000 commandments of God? One scholar says there's 613 commandments of God in the Old Testament. Now we have almost 1,700 commandments of God. And maybe you're a little bit like me. I started studying this and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to write down the 10 commandments. You know how many I got? Seven. 
Hadn't looked at it for a while. I left three out. So I turned over to Exodus 20 and I read those 10 commandments again, kept going through those one through 17. Know their gods, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, no graven image, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet, don't commit adultery, remember the Sabbath day, honor your father and mother. And I said, I'll try it again and I missed again by one. Now, as we look at this picture this morning, the Lord is speaking to us of something very important in verse three, That because it is so important by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep, there's a condition, if we keep the commandments, okay? But by verse four, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, wow, this is, is a liar and the truth is not in him. So God is saying, when your walk is not matching your talk, you're telling the untruth. And the runs of life are saying, I don't get it. I don't understand what this thing about Jesus is all about. But I want us to think a little bit of this, this picture and just go on a funnel journey with me. I'm gonna call it where we look at the, a very big perspective, we've looked at 1,050 New Testament commandments briefly, just commented 613 Old Testament. Then scholars get saying some of them are synonymous. They break them down and say, surely there is still 650 to 800 commandments left to keep. But I want to take you maybe out to the hills of Bethlehem where possibly David would have wrote Psalm 15. And on your screen, you will see David before the Lord. And here it's like, God, I'm here. I want to keep your commandments. I want to follow you. Oh Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. And it's like David says, Lord, I get your commandments. You remember David was a man after God's own heart, but God, one of the things God saw in David was a man whose heart sought after God. So often David would translate truth outward to heart interconnection. Micah chapter six, verse eight. Now we've looked at 12 that David come up with, I believe right there in the 15th Psalm. But now Micah in chapter six, verse eight, narrows it down to three. And we're still thinking about keeping God's commandments. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And Mike is saying, Lord, when I look at everything out there in the word of God, I look at all of your teaching, all of your sacrifices, everything that you're asked your people to go, I'm coming down to three. Love mercy, do justly, and walk humbly with God. 
Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus came along and he gave us two. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You know what I love about the gospel of Jesus, Christianity, is that it's touchable for anyone. Very few people can sort out the 1,050 commandments, but when Jesus came here, he says, I'm coming and I'm giving you two great truths that if these are a part of you, it, it will just flow all over. And you think about this as he's saying, you'll begin to keep the commandments of God. You just think about that as we keep going. Paul, as he wrote to Galatia, the Galatian brothers in Galatians 3 and 11, he comes down to one. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by faith. He says, I'm going to sum this up. Faith is what drives the righteous. Is Paul saying, when there is faith in God, when I am looking to the Lord, when I'm acknowledging his greatness, the commandments of God begin to flow. They just begin to be kept. They're almost a side part of following Jesus. You just think that, that through as we look at this together some more. But as we, let's, look, let's read verse three again and verse four. We're not taking a lot of verses here in this text of 1 John 2, but we will see here, by this we know, look at the positive assertion that we have come to know him, God, Jesus, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know we are in him. Notice John goes further. Now he's looking at commandments, but he speaks of his word, the word of God. Uh, the word of God that we are speaking from today. And John says, this is it. If you get down to where's the commandments, what are they? They're the word of God. Here's a beautiful verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Just, just one of those rock-solid verses in the Bible to always anchor on by faith. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, in every good work. And now something else happens. We have been looking at what David, how David summarized the commandments of God. We looked how Micah summarized the commandments of God. We looked at how Jesus spoke of the commandments of God on two. Then we looked at Paul writing to the Galatians and saying, there's one commandment, walking by faith. And now we come to something else that John touches. All of a sudden he, like, he turns his light and he says, look over here at the word because this is where the commandments of God are. We had studied this verse earlier, 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. 
And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What does it mean to you and I to keep the commandments of God? When I was a 16-year-old guy, I took a summer job with my cousin in the landscape business. He was working in Modesto, California, and his business was growing. And I was able to work planting trees and plants and lawns and, and putting in sprinkler systems. And my boss's name was a guy named Fred. The difference with me at 16 years old, I was an unbeliever. Raised in a Christian home, I had no interest in Jesus. I had a list of things I was going to do. It was not going to be to follow Jesus. I even remember one time thinking, maybe 25 or 26 years old. I wanted to see how far I could go as an athlete. I wanted to see how far I could go in connections everywhere. And the next three years, God just really spoke. It wasn't once, it wasn't twice. He broke me, stripped me, took away, brought me right down to a place I was nothing. But you know what he did too? Is this is what's amazing. Here I am out in this landscape, landscape project, and probably many of you can relate to this. And here comes this guy named Fred, and he's my boss. But he never condemned me one time. He never pointed a finger at me one time. He just lived Jesus. And I would look at this guy, Fred, and every day, it could be a real, California and Modesto can be very hot, almost like Phoenix, really close to Phoenix because they have more humidity. And Fred would just literally praise God. And I'd say, wow, it's a hot day. And Fred says, we have a lot to be thankful for. God's there. And I can remember him and I would always sit and eat our lunch together. And Fred would never say anything to me like, I'll just pray for you. He would just bow his head and pray. And God was showing me Jesus and Fred. He lives in Arkansas today, probably haven't seen him in 20 years. But what happened was our boss brought in a gentleman named Bill who was a professor of religious theology from an Eastern college who was writing a doctorate degree and he gave him two weeks to work with us. And so there was Fred and John and Bill and this was quite a time because Bill, Bill's whole life was about concepts and philosophies. But the one thing that was very divertive is Bill didn't like to work, but he was supposed to be working. So what he would do, he would stand on a shovel and want to talk. And I would be like, how do I tell Bill, Bill, we got to get the job done. And all of a sudden the day came when here's uh, what happened was one of the other guys that came and helped us just simply said, Bill, if you would help us, we'd get the job done. And Bill says, well, it's so hot in California, my shovel's like on fire, so I can't even touch it to even help you do the work. And what Fred did in the most amazing, gentle way is he just simply said, Bill, why don't you take your hot shovel and dip it down in the cool dirt and cool off your shovel and you can work with us. <laughs> and I saw Jesus. What was happening with me, and I watched this for that time, the next summer I went back and worked again, is Bill and Fred's walk was matching his talk. It was just amazing time that God was taking this rebellious young man and 
showing him Jesus in the most amazing ways. But if you notice with me also, Jesus is speaking about the word of God. We go back to this. We know that we know him. We have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word. Now he points out to his word in him. The love of God has been, has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. And so he's saying, you want an anchor, you want something solid, stay at the word. Go back, what does the Bible say? I had a pastor I worked with in Washington State, and this man and I worked through many problems together. And people would go after this guy, and I was younger than him, and I'd watch his response. And he could throw a blowback. He could have said, no, you don't understand all the facts. But you know what he would say? What does the Bible say? That's all that really matters. And at first I used to think, that's an out. Then I began to realize, no, he's just anchoring on the word of God. He's saying the word of God is true. I'll stay there. I'm not going to get off the word of God. But as we go a little further and we look at this next point, he says, the one who abides in him, verse 6 of our text, verse John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now here, Jesus, John is expressing about the same thing. Your walk needs to match your talk. But now he says, I pointed to the word in verse five, whoever keeps his word, but now I'm pointing to the person, Jesus. Look at this again with me. Ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. And we think, well, what did Jesus do? How did he walk? Because the word, it's so essential, we see this, that we need to be a part of those that keep his commandments. How did Jesus walk? One of the great truths of Jesus' ministry as, is that Jesus' delight was to do the will of the Father. He wanted God's will. He walked as he desired the will of God, as he sought the will of God, Jesus walked this way. Another thing Jesus did was Jesus was even willing to be baptized by his own cousin, John. And John did not get it. He says, I have need to be baptized of you, Jesus, and you're asking me. And Jesus said, I want you to allow it to be, for thus it is, is suffer that to be, to fulfill all righteousness. And here was John saying, hold it. But Jesus was saying, no, I am going the path of men. I want to be baptized. Another part of Jesus's life was his very, his entire mission was to glorify the Father. Sometimes we think, well, the great work of Jesus was going to the cross. But in John 17, when Jesus uttered the prayer of intercession, he said, Lord, I have completed the work that you have given me to do. He was just very shortly to the cross. And he says, I glorify your name and I have come to glorify your name. Walking as Jesus walks is a heart that desires to glorify God. This is where Jesus was. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said, when people ask him about the return of Jesus himself, you, you know what it is? And Jesus says, I don't even know. Only my father, which is in heaven, knows. 
He pointed back to the Father so many times. And one of the other beauties of, because we're looking at it within the context here, Hebrews speaks about the Lord Jesus. I will not look to that verse right now, but he was obedient. As he followed the Lord, he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He said, Lord, I will go where you tell me to go, and I will die. And here, as we look at this verse together, we say, we say the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse, 1 John 5 and 3, we will get to that, Lord willing, if God tarry not before too long. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 Corinthians 7 and 19 Paul addressing the church of Corinth about all the issues that they struggled with in the church. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. And you see how deeply Paul is speaking of following God and keeping his commandments. Jesus speaking, John 15, verses 4 through 7. He opens up with the word we're going to see through this book many times. He says, abide in me. That word abide is defined continue, endure, dwell, walk with me in fellowship, abide with me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dried up, dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And we look again at verse 6, the one who says he abides in him. Now we're entering into this beautiful word that we've just read about, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. What does that mean? All of a sudden, you notice what's happened. We've looked at the commandments. We've looked at, the, at how large they are. We got in the funnel. We, we brought them down to a few. We come down and we came down and we looked over to the word of God and we saw the perfection of the word of God and Jesus is the living word. But all of a sudden, Jesus now said, says something else, look to me. If you look at the sixth verse, let's look at five and six together of the text, but whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly, has truly been perfected. By this, we know we're in him. Look how complete that is, how full that is. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner 
as he walked. And today we want to leave us with this picture that John is giving us. When you're walking, look to Jesus. When you're following, look to Jesus. His walk was perfect. His walk was always right in every way. His walk was complete. His walk was pure. His walk was sinless. Walking as he walked is, is such a privilege, and yet it is also an, a, a responsibility to keep our eyes on Jesus. Just keep our eyes on Jesus. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, my last two verses to share with you today, verses one and two, Paul is addressing these, uh, these brothers, probably mostly Jewish, but many others, and he, it's addressing us. He says, therefore, since we have so great of cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and I love that because whenever we think we're, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, it's easy to think, here I am, God, I'm just like Elijah. But Paul's saying we've got all kinds of clouds of witnesses. There are people everywhere that are following Jesus. I don't know when you've had that, the last had that privilege. I had a breakfast this week, and all of a sudden I never knew the man. And I was able to look and say, there's a man who's following Jesus. He's walking. All he's doing is his eyes is on Jesus. And it was such a blessing. Pretty soon an hour, two hours, he's just gone. But Paul says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You notice Paul speaks about these entanglements that get us away from just walking as he walked, keeping his commandments, doing his will. But then he says, but lock here in verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith. Not only did he begin it, he ends it. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised in the shame and is sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Paul is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's almost something we can just say so quickly, so rapidly that we forget the great emphasis of that truth, that our heart, our eyes remain on Jesus. And we walk as he walked. We come back. I'm backing back into this. We come and we look at the word as that beautiful, perfect standard written by God. Every scripture, everything, God breathed, God inspired. We look back that we can live by faith. And as we live by faith, we'll love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind. And we'll love our neighbor by ourselves. And we can go back out and we can say, yes, we can love mercy and do justly and walk humbly before our God, like Micah said. And we can go, to, we can go back to what David said in the Psalms, maybe in the hills of Bethlehem. This is what God really requires. This is what God wants. But what, what, what God really wants is us. This is what he wants. 
He wants us, but he wants us to walk with him. And as we come to these places in our life, he says, just look back to me and I will lead you. In August, many of you here probably have been athletes in your life and I always liked athletics. I didn't get as involved as some of you, but, uh, but in August 7th of 1954 was one of the greatest runs that ever took place in North America because for many, many years, people had been trying to break the four-minute mile and they had went for all they were worth to break the four-minute mile, but they were missing. That, that, that means for anyone that might not be connected that you could run the mile under four minutes. But in 1954, in Vancouver, British Columbia, there was the race of the ages because two men were on the threshold on their times of breaking the four-minute mile. One was a man from Australia named John Landy. And he was right there, one second off. And the other man was from Europe, from England. And his name was Roger Bannister. And they, and everyone, there was other people in the race, but they were expecting this is going to be the race that someone is going to break the mile. And when the race started, John Landy got way ahead. He took off and it looked like he was on his way to break the mile, but Roger Bannister was not far behind. The first three laps, it looked like the race was over and Roger Bannister kicked in and began to run faster. And finally, as they came to the finish line, Roger Roger Bannister passed John Landy and he won and set the world record under four minutes. And John Landy also ran under four minutes. It was that close. Years later, they they were interviewing John Landy one time and said, what made the difference to you? And you were way ahead. It was, it was amazing. And John says, you would think this was pretty insignificant, but I was leading clearly. I had my air. But one question came in my mind. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. And it was, where is Roger Bannister? And I just kept thinking about Roger Bannister. And he said, finally, I decided to turn and look. And at that moment, I turned and looked. I lost the step that lost the race. Now, in the Christian life, we're not looking for Roger Bannister. We're really not looking to others so much as we're looking to Jesus. The word of God says the author and the finisher of our faith. He went ahead of us. We look to Jesus. The beauty is when the race is over, he wins, but he wins through us. But he asks us to look to him. And as we look to him, that power is there to live the commandments of God. And the walk of our Christian life can match the talk of our Christian life. And the runs of life that we are all exposed to can look at people just like us and say, I see Jesus. And I give God the praise. And I don't know where you're at in the walk and the talk. I'm sure some people, someone sit here today and you'd say, wow, I've got a gap right now. And, and, Praise God. I mean, there is not one person here that doesn't come to a place in your life that God doesn't show you've got a gap. 
But the beauty is there is a beautiful solution and we find it right in that last verse we touched. And the one who says he abides, maybe he said, I've been saying it, but I really haven't been doing it. Here's what he's saying. Walk as he walks. Look to Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off of other people and look to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I'm going to let you lead me. I'll let you win the race. I'm going to let you carry me through that difficulty, wherever that is. And as Jesus begins to do that in the most amazing ways, in the most amazing circumstances, when our eyes go to Jesus, we have no idea where we go. You know, John Landy became a neurosurgeon. God still used the guy in amazing ways. It's the same with us. And, and I want to encourage one other group here because as we look at this, this could really condemn someone here. And I want to encourage you here that you don't happen to me last night. I will share this at the baptism. I had forgot my, my, non my non-slip shoes and I went out there to baptize and I thought, you know what? I don't think it'll be that tough to navigate that little bank to go over here to help this other guy into the water. But for any of you that were there, it was tough. I fell. I mean, it could have really been bad. I went flying backwards. <laughs> and all, I, got, I walked to the door this morning and all these sisters just uh, met me at the door and said, how are you doing? I thought they weren't even there last night. <laughs> how do they know? But they care. But you know, there's another part about it. When you fall, by God's grace, get up. People say, well, what's wrong with you today? I looked really bad. Deb said, I saw you when you were flying in the air. That's all I saw of you. And all that's left is just a little teeny lingering here, and I praise God. But we're going to fall. Get up. Get up. And walk with Jesus. And let him take you where he wants you to go. And keep looking to Jesus that author, that perfecter of your faith. And if there's someone here today that says, I don't even get it. I haven't even started. You're talking about keeping the commandments of God. I can't. You can through Jesus, but that's the only way. And I want to encourage you. If, if there is someone here who has not surrendered their life to Jesus, you know who they are. You know who you are. I pray that even as this service comes over, that this altar right here is a safe place. I pray that this altar gets safer and safer and safer for God's children, but also for others too. Because you know what we have here? We have a great big open door that I want to stay here by God's grace that lets anyone walk in the store and say, you can cross the finish line a winner. God through you can do amazing things. And that is true. We know that. And the word of God says, yes, you can keep the commandments, but you can't do it except he works through you. And God be praised because we have the word of God. We even have a cloud of witnesses around us to support us. We have the church of Christ. We have the spirit of God. We have the testimonies of the Lord. And through Christ, our walk can match our talk. Wouldn't that be something if this church was known for that in this community? You know, other churches are known for, well, they just, their walk matches their talk. They're just people who practice Christianity every day. It just fleshes out of their life. God would be praised.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the many ways that you faithfully bring us back to you. You challenge us, Lord, beyond our ability. You strengthen us when we're weak. You lift us up when we just can't get up. And then, Lord, you protect us from injuries and and difficulties that could be so much worse. And somewhere, Lord, is your healing touch and your amazing power to do amazing things. And, Lord, we give you praise and honor. And I pray, Lord, even this morning where you have spoken in any heart, Father, You know in the secrecy of every heart here where you have spoken. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can so move move in our souls that we'll say, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Your son went there. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Lord Jesus, I want to do your will. I want to follow you. Whatever that means, wherever you take me, no matter how low it must be or forgotten or overlooked or neglected, your son was already there. And Lord Jesus, I want to be your child. But I want to walk with you, Jesus, and I know where you're walking is that beautiful place of fellowship and comfort in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.